Hi everyone. Well, I don't really know where to start. Um, I'll give a, a quick recap on everything because I did delete um, some of my early podcasts. And um, I was with somebody for a few years and we were living together for six years and then he'd left Um, and I just couldn't let go of him and I followed him around like a puppy and it's ridiculous but there was just something that I just felt like I just couldn't be without him in my life so over time we became best friends really really good friends nothing sexual just friends Um, but apart from the nothing sexual bit I was for all intents purposes like his wife we didn't live together but I handled everything for him I had his banking on my phone his universal credit on my phone um, I knew all his passwords for everything because he gave me them um, so that I could help him you know make appointments pay bills set things up um, his Wi-Fi was actually my Wi-Fi um, that I gave to him. Um, and I just looked after him, really, and just made sure he was okay, that he didn't get in too much trouble and he didn't starve. And I was his voice of reason. He would always say, there's a quote online, and I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it was something like... Um, he was he was the devil and he brought her chaos she was the angel and she brought him calm um, which always you know like rung a chord with him because like my life is very sort of just still and calm um, and you know I don't do anything out of the ordinary type of thing. Um, And his life was just absolutely haywire. It was just crazy. Um, And I would go and see him on average probably once a week because he was hard work. I mean, I loved him. I loved the bones of him, but he was really hard work because he was an alcoholic and... The last couple of years of his life, it really affected him mentally. um, And he was like a child. So it was quite difficult to be around him because when he was drunk, which he was always drunk, um, he was very unpleasant with people, not with me, but with other people. And he would insist he wasn't being unpleasant. Like, I don't know if he didn't realise or he didn't care or whatever. But it was very embarrassing and uncomfortable. Um, I would just feel awful for, you know, whoever he was talking to. And um, it was like he just thought out loud, like he had silly thoughts. And, you know, like he could be racist sometimes, which I am definitely not. And I would always pull him up on all of these things. I I was more like his mother, you know, like telling him off pulling him back into line telling him things weren't appropriate he would like just wander into somebody's garden and start looking around 
and you know if they had fruit on a tree we just walk into the garden and start picking fruit off the tree um like he just had the right to do it and it was so embarrassing um but underneath it all i felt i always felt like there was a good person and i mean it there was a good person um it, that that good person was just buried a little and and i did see glimpses of him coming through like i say he was always lovely with me um you know it, well i say he was always lovely you had to take him he used to always say to everybody you know like take me as you find me you know like take it or leave it this is me if you don't like it you know just do one and we'd come to a place where I wasn't like romantically involved with him so he could do whatever he wanted and I just kept him at arm's length last year he had actually wanted to get my name tattooed on his hand and years ago when we were together I would have thought something like that was you know really nice I would have loved something like that and he used to always say you know never again I'm not getting a woman's name tattooed on me um because he had his girlfriend's name when he was a teenager tattooed on his chest and um he you know he said that he would never ever do anything like that again so anyway when it came to last year like like I say, we're just we're just best friends. So I'm not wanting him to get my name tattooed on him. It was nice. It, it's difficult, really. It was kind of nice that he felt like he loved me so much that he wanted to do that. But it was also weird because to me, you don't just have your friend's name tattooed on you. And, and I, you know, same with me years ago, I would have had his name tattooed on me. But at that point, like last year, I wouldn't have done. Um, and I didn't want to just let him do it. It made me feel uncomfortable. So I said to him, why don't you... Because he, you know, he was quite disrespectful the way he spoke about women he'd been with and things. So I said, why don't you get bitch tattooed on your hand? You know, and then you can say, oh, I've got my ex's name tattooed on my hand, um, which could have been anybody, you know, like I was his ex. And um, I said, oh, you know, like your girlfriend even, or somebody you're seeing, you could say, I've, I've got her name on my hand, just as a, like a tongue-in-cheek te- in joke. It's his humour, you know, I knew he'd find that quite amusing. So, of course, he got bitch tattooed on his hand. And I always felt bad about that because he died in March. And when he died, of course, he had bitch written on his hand. Um, and it, I don't know. It's just it's just one of those things. But um, he was actually murdered on the 5th of March this year uh, by his friend who had been staying with him because he was homeless. Now, I'm, I'm going over all this because um, it was the trial. This past week just gone, it was the trial all week. And um, I got I got to watch it via video link, thankfully. Um, and I got the link sent to my daughter as well. 
Um, so she was allowed in to watch it by video link. Because at court, it's just so unpredictable how long you're going to be in there. Then they have bits where they, you know, like you're, you're hanging around for hours just waiting to go back in. And you'll go one day and you're only in there for an hour and a half. And and this was in Leeds and I live near York. Um, and it would have meant a lot of faffing about to get there every day just to hang around um which i don't be i don't begrudge mark anything um you know I, I would do that for him but i didn't want to you know to be a week of just faffing about and getting messed about um of course it was a jury trial and what had happened was um, Dan had had been high and absolutely paralytic on whiskey. And I know this for a fact because I actually spoke to Mark via video call two hours before he died. Um, and Dan was there as well because he was staying with him. So I actually got to see them both on the video link Um on the video link. I'm thinking a court. Scratch that. On Messenger via video call. Um, and um, Mark was drunk, but he wasn't as drunk as he could be. Dan was absolutely shit first and just, well, I knew he was on drugs because Mark said you know and he'd he'd had a sleep and he said oh, he's just come round um you know like from being unconscious type of thing and um anyway what had actually happened after I'd spoken to him I was on the call for half an hour and Mark was putting a dye on his hair and um after that um Dan had started acting really hostile and unpleasant and he generally did this when he'd had too much whiskey to drink. He'd put, throw road cones. Well, that was an example of something he did actually do. Throw, throw a road cone through, um, through the window at the place that him and Mark used to live. They lived in a shared house. And he'd just throw on a big road cone and it smashed through the window. Um, and then the next day he'd say he couldn't remember any of it, which... He probably couldn't because he was so paralytic on whiskey. Um, anyway, he'd been acting really bad on that night. Excuse me if I'm all over the place. And Mark had ended up phoning the police, um, asking them to remove him because he was scaring him. Um, and he'd hit him. He'd hit Mark in the face. And... Um, Anyway, the police had come and had taken Dan and he wanted, he'd just got some medication. Um, he has a, apparently, a personality disorder, which in the three years that I'd known him, I'd never ever um, heard mentioned that he had anything, you know, specifically wrong with him. I mean, yeah, he was a bit, you know a bit alternative sometimes, a bit unusual, like he, the things he would do when he was drunk. But when you're paralytic on whiskey, you know, you, you can get a bit alternative. 
and um, it was nothing that I hadn't seen loads of other people around there do. Now, Mark lived in Harrogate in a shared in another shared house, not the one they lived in together, um, and these particular shared houses are um, provided by a couple of landlords in Harrogate maybe a couple you know maybe I know of two but there's maybe a handful and they buy properties and they rent them out to people that are on benefits mainly um, looking through the homeless hostel and you know setting people up with somewhere to live which is a good thing but then you're getting lots of like-minded people living in the same house and these, these are people that have been homeless, which is a wonderful thing because they're no longer homeless. But they are people that have problems, mental health issues, addiction, alcoholism. And I completely understand it. I get it. 100% I get it. You know, I mean, that was the thing with Mark. He, he, was, he had no empathy for people who, you know, were drug addicts and things like that even though he did drink and drugs himself he just couldn't see it from other people's points of view and that was quite hard to listen to sometimes I mean I went mad with him one day because he went up to a homeless guy in Harrogate who was sat on the floor and a girl had just been and bought this homeless guy a couple of pasties and a coffee and Mark was Mark walked over to the guy and he was being really rude to him, telling him to stop being such a scrounger and just being unpleasant. And I shouted and then I walked up, like shouted at Mark, and then I walked off and I said, I'm not standing with I'm not not standing with you. I wasn't with him. <clears throat> I was over the road and up the street a bit, but I could hear him because he was shouting. I was mortified, you know, and, and I said to him, you know, can't you try and see it from this poor guy's point of view? And I went into it all. You know, I said, if I was homeless, I would be a drug addict too. Because if that's what gets you through the day, especially at this time of the year, I totally understand how that goes. Um, and it was hard, you know dealing with somebody that is just so so blinkered you know like just so into themselves and what they want and what they're doing and no sympathy for anybody else um so of course like all these people end up in these shared houses in and around Harrogate um it's Harrogate Nairsborough you know Starbeck that sort of area um, and these people need compassion and understanding. They need help, counselling, you know, somebody to know that they're cared for. Um, which, you know, some of these people aren't the easiest people to care for. But you have to look deeper and see what's happened to them. Where has this come from? Why are they being like this? So back to that night the 5th of March and the police had come and they removed Dan and they told him <clears throat> they'd take him to the hospital to help him get some more medication because his medication that he, well he says he'd got medication there's never been any sign of any medication 
but they said they'd take him to hospital and help him get some more medication because he lost it and he was kicking off and screaming that Mark had took him took it off him and wouldn't give him it back. Um, but what the police actually did was they just took him to Harrogate Hospital and dropped him off outside. Now, it's with somebody like Dan in the condition he was in, it's like dropping a child off outside. You know, dropping a child off outside school, a child that doesn't want to go to school. So they told him not to go back to Mark's and they dropped him off outside the hospital, which he actually went into the hospital and bought a packet of crisps and some pop out the vending machine. Um, you know, hung around for a little bit, didn't actually see anybody about any medication, um, and then went went outside for a while. And he had two bin bags with his belongings in, and he dropped them on the ground, and he wandered off. And he actually wandered off through Harrogate to where Alster is, and went into Alster and bought himself a pack of knives. One of these, like, that you'd get if you were buying a full set for your house with a pair of scissors in and everything. And he went outside and he took out the biggest knife and put it down the waistband of his of his jeans and threw the rest of them down the back of the bin and wandered off. Now, the trial was that he pleaded guilty to manslaughter, not murder. He said it was through diminished responsibility that he had an an abnormality in mental functioning. Now, a bottle of whiskey is going to do that to you. You know, he was basically trying to play the system, you know, for... I I, I didn't know what I was doing. But he did. Nobody could see what was coming that night, but he could see. Because he actually decided to walk down to Asda, get the knife and go around to Mark's. Now, when Mark opened the door to him, he just instantly started stabbing him. And he stabbed and stabbed and stabbed until Mark was dead. Um, and it was actually on on the police phone call uh, that he said, you know, he would carry on. He, he just carried on until Mark was dead. And he knew that he'd stabbed at him at least 30 times. Now, there was 15 actual stab wounds and the rest were all slashes, like superficial slashes where he'd been trying. Um, The knife had actually gone right the way through his arm and out the other side um, at least twice. And he had extensive internal damage and he stabbed him in the chest and just left the knife in. He stabbed him until he, he could see he was dead, basically. And that's what he said. He said he he just carried on until he was dead. Um, Then he walked outside, phoned the police and phoned his parents separately and said, you're not going to be seeing me for a a while um, because I've just killed Mark. Um, And it it was a really weird emotional week, hearing it all in court because up to this week, like I had no idea how much Mark had been damaged. I, I, I had this weird idea in my head that it was Dan. He was his friend. He would have he would have probably just stabbed him once in the chest, and Mark would have died. And 
but it wasn't like that at all. He'd stabbed him in the back as he was walking, like he opened the door and turned round to walk back in. And that's when uh, Dan started stabbing him. So he'd stabbed him in the back. Um, he had wounds all over his hands, defence wounds. And the in court they said it was a, a goal-orientated crime, which means that he actually bought the knife because he wanted to kill him. So um, after, after a, a week of, of trial... Um, it did look like it was going to go in a bad direction for a little while, but the majority vote, 10 to 1, um, was guilty of murder. Um, so he has been, you know, found guilty of murder. And it's it's just really bizarre because I feel like I've had Mark in my head every single day since it happened, um, not not knowing exactly what happened, but, you know, knowing he was dead. But when you hear, and you've got a picture in your mind then of the story, I've seen the CCTV footage of, of him in the hospital um, and his whole journey down to Asda, him actually coming out of us, buying the knives, paying itself scan with the for the knives, taking the knife out the box all of that is on CCTV even him entering the street where Mark lived is on there um, and I just keep thinking about you know like how Mark was in blissful ignorance he thought he'd got you know got Dan out the police had taken Dan out and um, it bugged me because in the police statement the policeman said oh there was an intercom on the door so they weren't worried about Dan going back because someone would have to buzz him in which wasn't strictly true um, that was a I'm going to cover my back manoeuvre because the intercom thing on the door if there was one even I can't remember if there was one but if there was one it certainly hasn't worked for years um, and the front door half the time wouldn't even lock because drug addicts had come and uh, they would shoot heroin in the laundry room downstairs and, um, you know, like sleep on the stairs and stuff like that. The, the lock was always getting kicked off the door because um, it was a thing that made Mark feel really unsafe, that anybody could just walk into the house. He had a lock on his door, but it was easily kicked in. He'd had somebody kicked it, kick his door in before and come in and punch him. Um, so, ever since, or should I say, all, all week, as I've found things out, I, I've just played over it and over it and over it in my mind. And I feel like now it's an end to the story. Uh, Dan hasn't been sentenced yet. He's not getting sentenced until November, towards the end of November. But I don't care about that. Um, I just wanted him to be found guilty for murder because that's what it was. Um, so it was the best possible outcome to an absolutely horrific situation. Now I'm just going to open the door because I have a cat comes to see me. It's not my cat. 
it's a rag doll and um, he's outside scratching on the window come on Teddy come on baby most beautiful cat ever absolutely gorgeous and he comes around to see me and gets a bit of attention and uh, anyway I digress um, it's been a very surreal bizarre week um, and the the, um, the Tuesday um, was the hardest day for me and I did actually feel ill on Tuesday night because of it it's just shocking when you've loved someone and you've spent so much time with them and they call you every day on messenger and um, when they don't call you they text you know texting you and you're just always in contact with that person and they're always telling you how important you are to them and you know he would say to me when I went through to see him he would say oh and, and not I get to spend the day with a normal person you know and I mean that's a very uh, loose use of the word normal but uh, he meant somebody that was you know sort of not high not drunk had his best interests at heart didn't want to punch him in the face um, and he, he was just like I say he was like a, he become like a child and he was just so excited and happy to see me and it's hard because he was often scared because he was always getting hit this was because he was a gobshite basically when he'd had a drink he could be a real gobshite you know and, and just say things that were inconsiderate and annoying um, and when I was there I, I would always tell him or over video call I would tell him and he liked that about me that I was honest with him um, but I didn't just you know like overlook all the shite that he came out with and um, I just I, I liked to be his person his safe you know his safe person um, and then all of a sudden, you know, like, I gets up on the 6th of March and he's gone. He's He doesn't exist anymore, you know. And um, it's all been very bizarre. I just feel like something's missing, you know, like every day. Even though I didn't physically see him, well, I knew he was in the world and, and he would message or call me or both um, and now he's gone forever and I just hope I hope that Dan feels some of that I hope he does feel what he did because on the police call he was absolutely horrible um, there was no remorse no upset in his voice or anything he was glad he'd done it um, and that that really really sticks in my throat you know that, that you could decide you're going to go and buy a knife the biggest knife you can find which was in his chest so deep that the whole blade was in there you couldn't it, it was you know 
you could see the handle and that was it and um, Mark would have been so scared and that's just a horrible horrible thought you know like I knew everything about him I knew all all the things he liked all the things he didn't like I knew all the daft films he liked to watch all the you know soppy songs and silly songs and uh, all the things that he liked and and it just drives you mad thinking about it you know like how he would have felt when he realised you know like what was happening and you know like what was going what was going through his mind it must be so unbelievably frightening and it didn't last long and you know he'd had a few drinks but you still feel pain you still feel scared and it's it's just it just mashes my head to be honest really really mashes my head I just I just can't even now believe that it's all happened and that he's gone and um, I need to find a way to put it to bed and move on with my life um, mentally because uh, you could drive yourself mad couldn't you Mark had actually been begging me to go through and see him on that Friday um, I've still got the messages on my messenger um, but it was locked down at the time and I didn't have a car and I live in a village and the buses are every two hours and I have to get two buses to get to get to Harrogate and it was just all so complicated and I said no and he kept asking me and, and I said to him just leave it I'm not coming you know it's lockdown I'm not breaking the lock you know breaking the lockdown just to come through and see you when you're going to be drunk anywhere because it was the day that he got his monthly money and I knew he would be drunk um, and I just I just didn't feel like I could put myself through all the stress of going in the lockdown and it taking forever and just everything just for him to be paralytic so I didn't go um, my daughter was glad I didn't go because she said you know like it could have turned out completely different I might have been stabbed as well um, but you just think if, if only I could have done something to stop it you know like if I could have if I'd have phoned him at the, at the right time if I'd have video called him as Dan was coming back would it have changed anything or would I have seen it you know like but you, you could you could go over it forever couldn't you really and I just have to learn how to put it to bed um, I think as I think of my mind my memories as being a massive house like a skyscraper house um, covered in windows thousands of windows and on, on the windows some of the windows are you know you can see through them some of them they're boarded up and some of them the curtains are closed and it depends on the type of memory to 
what it is. They're all in there, but you you cover some of them over so that you can't see them. You know, they take more effort to look at. Um, and I'd like to board that window up. I really would. Um, just for my own sanity, really. Doesn't mean I'm going to forget any of this, but it means that I don't have to keep looking at it. Um, and that's what I need right now. So I just have to find a way through it all. So that's it. You know, Matt got the justice that he deserved in the end. Um, I hope Dan gets sentenced for the longest time possible. Um, but I won't be asking for a court link for it because it's not going to change anything. He got the verdict that I wanted and nothing's going to bring Mark back. I'd just like to know that Dan's sorry, that's all. And I don't think he is. He didn't look sorry. His, his expression just didn't change at all. But it's a funny old life. Anyway, sorry for the, uh, the happy um, subject, but such is life and this is my life okay take care everybody bye for now